Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 19th, 2021. I am John Popwitz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, this afternoon, uh, we are taping this Wednesday morning. When This afternoon, Joe Biden will give a press conference uh, commemorating... I guess the 99th and a half day of his, uh, the the 364th and a half day of his presidency, because of course, tomorrow is the 20th of January, which will make it a year. Maybe they consulted with an astrologer and decided that doing it on the 20th would be, uh, uh, would not be propitious. And so they're doing it on the 19th, who knows. And um, maybe you don't have to feel sorry for the guy that he has to stand up in front of the, you know, the reporters and the nation uh, to defend uh, what is um, maybe the worst first term record of our lifetimes. First year of the first term of our lifetimes, a little hard to Bill Clinton had a pretty bad first year. Um, This is way worse though, because actually we were coming out of a, recession uh in 93 when clinton was when clinton had to you know he made a lot of blunders but and he was heading for a huge uh, embarrassment at the polls in november of 94 but um i don't know i mean it's just not like this i mean you don't have like everything happening at once inflation afghanistan i mean not that afghanistan hadn't happened before uh ukraine um uh supply chain uh rising crime um tell me out i mean there's COVID, like just covid covid returning, covid right COVID border returning. border crisis not not resolved i mean it's just you know so uh, if you read the coverage it's like biden needs to reset and focus on his accomplishments great i'm really looking forward to hearing about all of his accomplishments which would be what? Well, they are the bipartisan COVID relief bill and the inflationary pressures associated with it. So you might want to downplay that. But the largest investment in American infrastructure, and it's in the history of the country, which doesn't satisfy anybody because everybody's talked themselves into thinking that's not a legislative victory at all for a series of solipsistic reasons. And, and I have to add that, that they're also doing they're they're already pitching to media and to the public that this press conference today, which is his first in 10 months, it should be noted, is this big reset for the Biden administration. They've been kind of behind the scenes uh, courting the media over the last week. But this guy is constantly asking the American public for do overs. He bungles something. Oh, we'll do a do over. We're going to do better next time. Oh, stay with us. Stay with us. I don't think people are going to buy it anymore. I mean, he's going to have to be a lay out a dramatically different attitude, tone and policy agenda if he's really going to do a reset now. And our friend Brett Stevens, New York Times, offered some suggestions. Even his his sycophantic liberal allies like Jen Rubin in The Washington Post have made suggestions. Bill Galston made some in The Wall Street Journal. I don't think this guy's capable of resetting in the way that they are going to try to frame him, frame this press conference in this next few weeks as a reset. I don't know. I read somewhere that um, he, uh, closest aides say that uh, he thinks he doesn't need to do a reset. So they think he needs a reset. It's obvious that he needs a reset. Uh, polls are going in the wrong direction. Um, every indication we have is that um, 
uh, the uh, balance of uh, power in within the body politic between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party has shifted decisively in the favor of the Republicans, the latest being this uh, Gallup poll that now shows that um, 49% of the public is, is, um, is essentially, or of the voting public is essentially allied with the Republican Party as opposed to 40% for or 44% for the Democrats. I've got these, I'm screwing up these numbers. The point is that there was a nine percentage point advantage for Democrats on this question uh, on January 20th, uh, 2021. And on today, on January 19, 2022, there is now a five percentage point advantage, according to Gallup, for Republicans. That is a 14 point shift in the favor of Republicans. Uh, that's, you know, I mean, in the, everything we know is telling us that uh, that they're cruising for bruising. And uh, no, you're right. So what he has to tout is that he was successfully bipartisan, even as in the Senate today, uh, efforts are being made by the Senate Majority Leader and Senators to demonize Republicans and the Democrats who are, are unwilling to go along with uh, procedural shenanigans in order to, you know, force pretty radical legislation through on a party line vote. So even if you wanted to go bipartisan, like this would be the worst possible day to do it because they're doing something nakedly partisan. They believe is they believe is moral and just and right that the Republicans are evil on voting and they need to be quashed and any any measure needs to be taken to you know advance the causes of uh, what Democrats believe is um, is an effort to suppress the vote that they got more of than anybody got ever uh, the last time there was a big vote. So. Uh, good luck making that argument stick anyway. But, but you know, but we're missing something here, which is that Biden touts his failures as successes. When you say, <laughs> what are the successes? He's you know, they they consider Afghanistan this great necessary move to get the U.S. out of war. Uh, they they all week. Uh, Jen Psaki has been citing, you know, the fact that uh, uh this high percentage of Americans are vaccinated, but when they came into office, it was only one percent of Americans were vaccinated. Were, were vaccinated, um, you know. So th these masks, are things. I'll that, add masks to that because Zika Manuel yeah. is out today saying this is a big step forward. The White House's initiative to yeah. distribute 400 million free N95 masks as the rest Quote, of the world removes mask mandates, particularly in schools. Quote: <laughs> It's it's taken two years, but it appears we're finally getting it right. Uh, in December of 2020. Joe Biden announced a 100-day masking challenge. It's not forever, he said, but if we wear a mask for 100 days, you know, we can get a handle on this thing. So literally their own their own policy prescriptions only highlight the president's failures. Um, the Washington Post has a piece uh, this morning also. A year ago, Biden unveiled a 200-page plan to defeat COVID. He has struggled to deliver on some key promises. So Here's my question to you. If they've been stockpiling uh, N95 masks, 400, 500 million of them, uh, and his plan, as uh, issued on Inauguration Day, involved uh, providing uh, masks, why, why haven't they provided masks? Like, I don't think they need to provide masks. Because who is this for, John? Who is what for? Who is, who, who is the at-home test system for? Who are the masks for? Who's paying attention to this? Who desperately wants this? The people who don't want COVID to go away ever and who have locked this administration into this fatal dance in which they're constantly trying to appease an unappeasable 
constituency that wants a pandemic that is killing this presidency to remain in place forever. So this is a base play is what you're saying. It just seems to me that the administration finds itself in a situation in which it, it has no capacity to see beyond its own narrow understanding of what the electorate is and, and, and what it wants. And I don't know what that is, whether they're being blocked by piety about Corona and, and about the virtue of their own way that they have been pursuing mitigation and elimination strategies and therefore any shift in tone or emphasis or even saying, you know what, I think we may have gone down the wrong path for, you know, or, or that we, that this path is not sustainable. We need to change directions uh, would, uh, you know, in effect be like converting from one religion to another religion. It's too, it's too big a stretch for them. And as a result, they can't see beyond where they are to reach out to people who have become disaffected with them. Not, not to us, right? It's not a reach out to us. Maybe it's a reach out to Brett, you know, it could be a reach out to Brett could be a reach out to David Brooks, but it's not a reach out to the four of us here because we never thought that he we he had any chance of uh, being anything but a caretaker president. But certainly there are plenty of people who did, and there are plenty of people, as I said yesterday, you know, you want the presidency to succeed because we don't want to live in the condition and circumstances that we're living in now. But... Um, uh, the idea that they that they are showing any ability to ruthlessly consider their own position to say where it's not working and to discard policies and emphases that are hurting them that that th there's just absolutely no evidence to suggest that there is any such ability for them to well, I, I think it's actually worse. I mean, you said piety and there I would actually use the term self-righteousness because there's a particular harm that they're inflicting when an, a regular person, someone who, who probably voted for Biden and doesn't like Trump and, you know, really kind of generally embraces the sort of moderate political message looks back at, at Joe Biden's big ad saying, if you get vaccinated, you can take off your mask, you know, or as, as Noah mentioned, oh, 100 day mask challenge. And they believed it and they bought into it and they did it. And now they're looking at things and going, well, this didn't work. So what now? And when they raise that question, when they raise that pushback, the Biden administration basically says, shut up. We know science like there is it's it's worse than just going oopsie daisy. We messed up. Let's move on. They don't even oopsie daisy this. They literally shame people who put Biden administration's words right back at them and say, well, this didn't work. What now? They just keep um, they, there. There is a kind of self-righteous shaming of people who question what the administration is saying. And that is that tone. And I know the tone policing, et cetera, et cetera. That I think more than any particular policy shift is really sinking in with the populace right now. Look, I think. Uh, we're all I, I, I we're all vaccine boosted, right? I got Omicron and I live in a city where you have to wear a mask. So what does that tell me? So this is my own individual's. It's what am I wearing a mask for? First of all, I'm now I'm now three times and 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 I've had COVID. What am I wearing a mask for? It doesn't make any sense for me to wear a mask. I'm still doing it because I'm because I I you know follow the dictates of where I live and I don't want to like get into fights with people in a store or something like that. But um, there are a lot of people like me. I have no, uh, I have no regrets about the vaccines and uh, you know and the boosts, 
uh, my Omicron was very mild and I, I, I attributed to that. Um, but uh, when Zeke Emanuel, um, who has become a malign public policy presence, somebody who thinks that everybody should die at 75 because you know he has nothing left to do and having just celebrated my father's 92nd birthday, he can go to hell. Uh, and maybe all of his people should die and then, you know, leave, leave the world to the rest of us. Let's see if his brother, um, Ari, uh, lets himself die at 75 rather than continuing to try to run Hollywood. Anyway, says, you know, great. Now everyone's going to have N95 masks. But the masking doesn't prevent you from getting Omicron. I mean, that, nor do vaccines. Now, the, the vaccine well the vaccines prevent you from getting Bad omicron outcomes. and prevent getting, transmission yeah, not according no. to the centers for disease control and prevention right but that that's not an argument the argument for the vaccines is that they prevented alpha and they are and they mitigate the effects of omicron and that's great um the masking is now completely talismanic and um and the there's nothing else to say about it. It is talismanic. Uh, it is not going to prevent you from getting Omicron. It is not going to prevent the unvaccinated from getting Omicron. It's not going to prevent kids from getting Omicron any more than kids might or might not get Omicron as they didn't get the other variants. Well, and, and look, this is pay- what he wants to push today is well, masking. And- it's worse what? than this, though, because the cloth masks that we were told for years and that were forced on very small children's faces so that they could finally get back to school, those cloth masks never worked. They always knew they didn't work. And kids were wrestled into those cloth masks day in and day out under this kind of like, you know, virtue signaling effort. And now they actually want to fit them with N95 masks. Have you seen if those are properly worn, they do a lot of damage to your face. Then the, the healthcare workers who have to wear them day in and day out should be constantly applauded. They're very uncomfortable when they're worn properly. This idea that now we should, the UK is just is about to rescind all its mask mandates in schools. States like Virginia are doing this. And the pushback is a moral and, and, not a political or public health argument. It's a moral argument. And it's, it's a religious pernicious. argument. That's yes. why I use the word talismanic and why I said for them to shift gears and to say, okay, circumstances have changed. It's time to take our chances. Take the masks off. We're lifting all restrictions. Fauci himself said last week, everyone's probably going to get COVID one, one way or another over time. So let's get it faster rather than slower. Like that, that just seems to make sense. Unless you're going to want to talk again about how we're, we're, you know, we are uh, challenging, uh, you know, the healthcare system is going to collapse. I'm sorry, you don't get to make that argument five times over. You don't. It was worse in 2020 and the healthcare system didn't collapse. You can't come back and say the healthcare system is going to collapse. And I'm sorry that doctors and nurses are exhausted. I really am. And I believe that they're exhausted, but they're being exhausted is not the healthcare system collapsing. They're being exhausted is them being exhausted. They should get bonuses. They should get tax breaks. I don't know, whatever, but that we are not going to put ourselves in a position where uh, or we should not be putting ourselves in a position where the concern for the level of of, uh, of energy in the body of a healthcare worker causes the pre- the causes the administration to declare that 330 million people should be should be wearing masks. But John, if we take our masks off and say, all right, it's time to live our lives, 
And it's individual choice. If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. But other, otherwise, this is it. Then we're all Florida. And that's that's an unthinkable, evil step, right? Exactly. Then what, That's then, exactly right. Then what's the argument against all the 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 foes of, of this policy? There there is none for, for 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 two plus years. There is none. The classic thing you do in politics is that you take the issue of your rival and you make it your own and you trump them and you take it over. Then when 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 Republicans are saying, "Oh yeah, well now we finally did it," then they, then you can say that, or they can say. Circumstances change, so we change the policy. Now, now, so what's your gripe against us now? We should have done it earlier. Fine, maybe we should have done it. We're doing it now. Now, what's your gripe against us? I'm just saying, like that is classic jujitsu politics. Is you use the strength of your. I, I don't mean to tell Christine what jujitsu politics <laughs> is, but you know, you use the strength of your enemy against them. That's if they if, if Republicans good, have yeah. if Republicans and conservatives have the stronger argument. Then you take then you take over their argument, unless you're a religious fanatic, unless you are, unless your commitment to this is driven by faith and not by reason. But do we underestimate the size of the um, the 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 chunk of the population who doesn't want to be Florida? Um, do we overestimate it or underestimate it? Do we underestimate? Do we underestimate the in, size in words, of, the, in, of the COVID hawk? Right. Zero COVID. Yes. Are we underestimating it? Yes. No. I don't think so. And it's also irrelevant. Um, It's relevant only insofar as are these people mobilized politically? Are these people mobilized? Can they manifest into a political force? And they would would only. The answer answer we got last November is is no, decisively. And the, the people who are COVID hawks right now don't do not recognize, do not see the extent to which school closures all over the country in blue dominated places. There, schools are going remote everywhere as long as you're in a blue dominated place. If you're governed by a Republican, Republican administration, Republican state, Republican municipality, it's not happening. But it is happening in blue dominated places. And it's happening because of quarantine protocols. It's not happening because people are getting sick for prolonged periods. It's not happening for any other reason other than the CDC's recommendations for quarantining, which they actually truncated in response to what they understood would be an unreasonable strain on society. A political condition changed those protocols. That was another political condition. Uh, right. And we Wait, said at the time that that was the first heartening gesture, like a kind of concession to political reality. Uh, if Biden were Clinton, this is where Biden would go. I once again, Clinton took a ruthless look at a failing presidency, and he scrambled and switched gears. Not by being nice to Republicans, by the way, right? He blamed Republicans for the Oklahoma City bombing. He blamed Rush Limbaugh for the Oklahoma. He said, you know, extremism is coming, and this other party is terrible. You know, they made fun of Newt Gingrich for not wanting to to, you know, for complaining about his seat on Air Force One, going to the Robin funeral. There's all kinds of stuff that went on that wasn't bipartisan and nice and friendly. But he took a look at his position and he shifted gears and he stole and he pulled the rug out from under the right on welfare reform, on tax cutting, and said the era of big government is over. Joe Biden has no such skills. He has never had to deploy those skills. He's nearing his 411th birthday so it's assuming that he will be able to pull those skills out of his you know increasingly decrepit body and brain 
is uh, is a is a highly questionable thing to expect, and um, we're he's just going to have to live with the consequences. Uh, because he's not going to listen to Jen Rubin. He's not going to listen to Brett. He's not going to listen to David Brooks. He's not going to listen to anybody. And uh, Christine had a drinking game, she suggested, for today's 4 o'clock press conference, which is uh, every time he says, come on, man, drink. To a tough question. To a question he doesn't want to answer. That's an obvious tough question. By the way, why hasn't he given a press conference in forever? Does anybody remember why? Because he got into a fight with Caitlin Collins of CNN Mm -hmm. when he was in Europe. And he like started yelling at her from the stage. Now, I, I think I think it's OK. I actually thought that was fine. He didn't think it was fine. They didn't think it was fine. They brought him out. They apologized. And now he's like, you know, because so, maybe they know what he's like behind the scenes and knew that two more minutes of it, you know, and he would literally start looking like Grandpa Simpson. Like, you know, the makeup would come would start to melt and then, you know, he would whatever. I don't know. But uh, so that's the drinking game is come on, man. Every every press conference, every live appearance, every interview with him, it's like your 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 palms are sweating. It's like a high wire act. I mean, you never you never know when he's going to slip. He's a very defensive human being. He always has been. We saw it on the campaign trail a couple of times only because otherwise they kept him in the basement. But that is the real Joe Biden. When he's put on the defensive, he becomes very testy and very um, belligerent uh, if it's pushed. And it is the job of our media to have an adversarial relationship with power. And they have not fulfilled that role with regard to Biden. But, you know, the gloves need to come off, people. They have not they have not interrogated this administration on serious problems for this entire past year. Well, a lot, some have, and I would say that the a few, evidence, yes, I'm being hyperbolic. I, would say, but... <laughs> I, I mean, I think they did on Afghanistan. And I think that we are reaching a point at which it's it's pretty clear they're just starting that the White House press corps does not like the Biden it has has turn is turning on the Biden administration because they get stonewalled because and because what they want, which is a successful Democratic presidency to retard the Republican advance, is not happening. And they, like liberals all over the country, are getting angry at Biden for mishandling this and for revivifying a force of which they are terrified. He's also asked them to carry water for obvious lies, though. I mean, like the Border Patrol guys. I mean, there's there's a there's a narrative that comes out of this administration that the that for a while, a lot of major uh, journalistic outlets uh, pursued. They like, yes, this is what we know so far. And and the only reason we knew that they were carrying water for lies is that alternative conservative media were like, that's not true. So I think I think there's some compromise principles there among a lot of the liberal press corps. You know, maybe when Biden is sitting at the resolute desk, maybe the problem is he's he's uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable in his ancient chair. So maybe what he needs is an X chair. What do you think of that transition? That was that was that was pretty good. Very right? resolute. The, yes. The X chair at the resolute desk. What a concept. First of all, it's new, it's fresh, it's modern, it's fresh looking, it'll freshen up his look, it'll make him seem younger. And you know, it's the luxury supercar of office chairs. You sit in it. If he's a little cold, he can put on the uh, LMAX temperature regulation and heat up the chair. If he's warm, he can do the opposite. He can cool it down, you know, and uh Let's say 
his back is hurting or he needs a little, you know, he just needs a little comfort like that. Uh, four massage settings, four massage settings will, you know, do the trick. And then, of course, that lower back chairs really hard on the lower back. X chair has that dynamic variable lumbar. It's patented. Position it to support you exactly where you need to be supported. It'll change your life. He should try the X chair and so should you. And for a hundred dollars off, go to xchaircommentary.com. Now that's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com for a hundred dollars off, 30-day guarantee of complete comfort of your money back. That's xchaircommentary.com. Abe, uh, big headlines in the New York Times uh, this morning, like two hours uh, before the statute of limitations of something or other ran out. Uh, filings no. from the filings from the New York uh, State Attorney General uh, in a court case uh, revealing what it is that the New York State Attorney General investigation supposedly has on Donald Trump, his children, and the Trump Organization. And uh, I think you are not impressed, maybe. I think it's less than two hours. I thought it was less than an hour before uh, before the deadline. Right. Yeah. New York State Attorney General Letitia James, uh, you know, she's got this. She's running a civil investigation to, into the Trump organization. So in response to court papers filed by Trump's lawyers trying to block her from uh, subpoenaing uh, Trump's kids in the investigation, she filed uh, papers saying that the, her office has evidence of, quote, fraudulent or misleading uh, of, 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 of the Trump organization giving fraudulent or misleading information um, about um, their, the worth of various Trump properties. I think, first of all, I think or is doing a lot of work there. Uh, fraudulent is a, is a much heftier word than, than misleading. And the revelation that Trump is misleading is 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 uh, hardly a revelation at, at all. So she says, you know, in six Trump properties, golf clubs, uh, both in New York and Westchester and Scotland and various buildings and uh, uh, his own uh, penthouse apartment in New York, he has misstated the the value of these things to lenders, insurers and uh, perhaps the IRS. And she goes into there's, you know, he, he, the organization has, has claimed um, initiation fees that were never collected. They've overestimated the square footage of, of Trump's penthouse and claimed uh, values for mansions that were built on properties that in fact hadn't been built uh, and, and all the rest of this. Uh, again, this is all civil, so she, she can't even uh, there, there, there can't be any criminal charges, and it's unclear whether any of this will amount uh, to it to to her filing suit at all. So basically, what I see in this is yet again, there's someone on the warpath to be the Trump slayer. This is this is what we saw with uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, Michael Avenatti, and uh, a word of warning to Letitia, to Letitia James. When you when you do this, it, it, it may not end well because you get reckless and hungry um, and 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 people dig into your issues and, and your possible problems. Letitia James is is running for reelection uh, after a, a totally stalled out governor bid 
that ended in 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 uh, December. So she is, you know, the, as the, the Trump calls it a, a partisan witch hunt. I think he's right. I mean, of all the things, of all the charges you could have against Trump at this late date, to say he brags and and exaggerates his wealth is 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 really you know like wow what what a what a what a shocking revelation the statements by the way that she cites that in which the in which the trump organization overvalues supposedly overvalues these these properties and things have caveats on them saying these have not been uh, verified or audited themselves so all yes. true i'll I share yes totally share your assessment and to even raise the the prospect of securities insurance and possible tax fraud not rising to a prosecutable level renders this whole thing an exercise in politics obviously but as a political maneuver it's it's not we're not in the trump administration anymore and you see from the reaction of donald trump and his children uh, who have taken to you know Twitter and what have you, trying to you know, go go to war, go to the mattresses over uh, Tish James and attack her personally, and try to get everybody invested in this persecution that they're undergoing because it's your persecution too. It's not going to work like it worked when Donald Trump was president. Is the Republican electorate as invested in the honor of the Trump family as they were when it was a proxy for their political movement and their political circumstances? I don't think so. I got to disagree with you here. Uh, a junk case, a crapola case that comes up against Trump, the purpose of which is to deny Trump, uh, you know, is to go at him, to destroy his reputation, to see if you can sort of generate some kind of a, a crisis or controversy that might deny him another run for the presidency or build a case or whatever. It has to be good. And I was perfectly willing to believe that there would be goods uh, if they really spent time going through those tax records and doing whatever they had to do and saying that he overestimates the value of his apartment in an effort to get a second mortgage or something like that is embarrassing. It is embarrassing that a major public official should be should have, after two years of an investigation, that this is where she comes to claiming that uh, he might have been attempting to defraud lenders who have as a fiduciary responsibility to their own stockholders the the requirement to do due diligence on any such claims that are not legally binding. Now, this is different from tax fraud. Tax fraud is a criminal offense because you swear to the truth of things. But so is securities document. fraud. Defrauding a it's, lender is a crime. Defrauding a lender is a crime, except when you say that what I'm putting on this piece of paper should not be taken as gospel. Please go do your due diligence, which is on there. And, and, and you know, I mean, the New York Times itself, which, of course, is a handmaiden to the Tish James effort, says some of this is going to be very <laughs> difficult to, you know, to 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 get to any kind of, um, you know, to any kind of case, because. Those caveats are there for a reason. And also, That's just for what, like, so he says his apartment is 20,000 square feet larger than it is. For this, he's supposed to go to, you know, he's supposed to, like, go to reputational prison. 
I mean, I'm sorry. First of all, there is no apartment that is 20,000 square feet in New York City to begin with. That's a that's a big that's a big footprint. That would be like 4,000 square feet, five stories high. And that's that's it's an extra 20,000 square feet that he claims. I mean, it's preposterous on its face to say such a thing. And the fact that he says such a thing is like when he got the doctor's letter that said he is the healthiest person on the planet Earth. You know, I mean, this that 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 hyperbole thing is kind of, uh, you know, it's one of the things that makes you think that he's like a comic character. But, you know, he's not the king. But, you know, if you're going to try to get you have if you're going to go with the king, you have to kill the king. He's not the king anymore. He's King Lear. But so what? Like, okay. So, no, yeah, I mean, in response to Noah's point, I think I don't know that it matters, first of all, whether or not, uh, you know, the, the Trumpian hordes scramble to his defense and, and you know, uh, uh, express how wounded and they, they are and how unjust this whole thing is. If the whole thing fizzles or or worse for her backfires, um, it's another feather in his cap. He wins. Uh, regardless of who came to his side during the process, it's it's another it's another it's another uh, ver- it's another time Trump slayed the Trump slayer. Uh, Noah, do you have any? Um, do you have just any don't detect on this? any investment in the uh, in the Trumpian right in this particular travail. Maybe it will materialize oh. later, but it is. I, I, I just don't sense it. If there was the, the reason why the Trump persecution complex mattered in his presidency, is it because it was a proxy for the, your condition? You are beset on all sides by elites. It wasn't just Who that. Yeah, it, it was a lot of that. that. No, there and was it, some of that, but well, it worked. Okay. It worked because they he, they they were seen to be going at and attempting to dethrone the sitting president of the United States now could just be, why don't you just leave him alone? He lost, he's out of office. And the stake as the stakes of you have just described them are so low. Yeah. But but I'm just saying, we're just talking about the case itself. I don't know what the political value or lack. Well, that's, that's a principal argument. I'm talking about the political argument. Does this manifest in, well, it's not going to hurt him. Yeah, it's not going to hurt him, but somebody brings a junk, somebody brings a junk case. It'll It'll help him on the margins. helps him. It'll help. It'll say, it'll say, look, he was he was right again. He was right. He said he said, don't trust anyone. Don't don't. He said there's a wit. There's a partisan witch hunt afoot. I'm just saying, let's see how much airtime this captures in Fox primetime tonight. I'd be surprised if it was a lot. Well, I you know, again, I don't think that. All of this is about whether or not they can force them to testify or something, right? Or like subpoena things or I don't even know what. So. That cause is not very interesting, but um, the attorney general of the state of New York uh, indicating that her case against Trump is that he uh, has inflated the value of his properties uh, on documents that are not legally binding is one of the worst cases I've ever seen anybody bring against anybody prominent. I mean, that's like you don't want people looking at something like that. Like that's garbage. Like, you know, it's one thing if you do it because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a joke attorney general and you, or you're trying to make, you know, you want to make one day headlines or something like that. But, um, 
and granted there are you know millions of people in an entire cable network that will do nothing but talk about this for a week that said you know you don't want to bring a junk case against a prominent person it's very bad form and one of the reasons that she's been laying low i think is that once again they just they couldn't get the goods that they wanted and we know that that helps it helped clinton immensely that Ken Starr couldn't get the goods. He didn't get the goods on Whitewater, and he really didn't get the goods on Monica in the sense that what he wanted was evidence of a quid pro quo, Monica's, Monica's silence being bought in exchange for a job uh, by Vernon Jordan. And he couldn't get the goods, and the whole thing turned against the investigation no matter what embarrassing stuff was turned up about, you know, sexual peccadillos. And I, I'm not saying that this is comparable exactly, but it's close. You want to be open. You want to say, oh, my God, we opened, we, you know, this box was closed to us and we opened the box and, oh, my God, you know, what we saw in it. Oh, you know, it's Dorian Gray's painting. I mean, it is, oh, my God, it's worse than we even imagined. You know what? It's actually better than we imagined. It's like it's a much pettier case than we thought it was going to be. But we're going to bring it anyway because we're desperate and, not, you know, we're desperate and we have unlimited resources, uh, government governmental resources. We don't have much else to do because, after all, the attorney general of the state of New York is a garbage office anyway that files nonsense lawsuits for the purpose of pushing the political interests of the person who's in that office. And so, you know, but it's not like, oh my God, it's worse than we thought. It's actually obviously far better than anybody could have thought or than even a Trump partisan uh, might have feared, you know, would be there. And they don't care. They would be like, I don't care. He can do whatever he wants. He was a great leader, a great president, a great American, you know, like that. I don't care what he did. They th that's where they would be. But, you know, if 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 this is what they they don't even have to defend this, they can just make fun of it. They can they can scorn it and tease it and, you know, turn it into a burlesque, which is what Greg Gutfeld is almost certainly going to do. OK, let's move on from Trump to talk about. OK, now your choice. You pick among the 15 issues that are making your your head spin. Well, we did the Senate. We have. <laughs> Afghanistan or Ukraine? Make a okay. Choice. Why don't we go with Afghanistan? Because that that this what you're talking about may. I mean, obviously, Ukraine's going to come up also. But Afghan, what the thing you want to talk about will probably come up in some form during the press conference. I would be shocked. I really doubt that it will. But sure, we can just do an update because I'll be writing about this later today. And the hot issue is Ukraine. But the update is from um, an, uh, the declassification of a. Uh, Sigur report, the uh, special inspector general for Afghanistan, <clears throat> which was conspicuously declassified way later than it should have been. Um, these reports tend to be declassified within two months. And this one was declassified a year later, uh, oddly enough. Um, but it's essentially a smoking gun. It uh, demonstrates that the Sigur knew um, without a doubt that the Afghanistan uh, Native Air Force would collapse without the uh, support staff and contractors if they were removed, in part because over the course of several years of investigation, they noted that NATO, uh, NATO support staff had been training, primarily focused on training pilots, uh, fighter pilots, and not support staff. They needed American contractors to maintain planes and helicopters. They knew that. 
And in April of 2021, Biden announces full withdrawal, uh, much along the same lines as the Trump administration's uh, withdrawal, um, including the uh, removal of air support intelligence and contractors servicing planes and helicopters. Now, uh, the Trump administration announced something similar prior to their decision to withdraw, and the Afghan government did not address its deficiencies under operating perhaps under the assumption that the United States was bluffing, and as it turned out, was, because we didn't execute withdrawal along the Trump administration's timelines. They had pegged us accurately to that extent. But nevertheless, the Biden administration knew without a shadow of a doubt, according to the inspector general, that to withdraw from air support would essentially lead to the collapse of the Afghan government. In August, they backtracked. When they withdrew air support, they, they, the Biden administration reintroduced close air support uh, and advancing Taliban columns as they were approaching Kandahar, but it was already too late by then. So we, had, uh, we have essentially evidence that the Biden administration knew what they were executing would be the collapse of, uh, of the Afghan government. Of course, that assumes that someone in the Biden administration read the report which is probably what they'll say, or they'll say, look, there are a lot of opinions or a lot of people have all kinds of opinions. And, uh, you know, who is, you know, so good. So he said, this is what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, but what about the, what about our, it's been 20 years and, uh, you know, who's the last one who's going to die for a mistake, blah, 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 blah. Now that's not what he's going to say, but that's what will be said on background. That is certainly what, you know, Andrea Mitchell will say uh, serving as his defender and David Ignatius might say serving as his defender, whatever, you know, in the sort of in the David Rothkoff, you know, in the sort of foreign policy Solon category. I think um, part of the issue here also is that the horror of uh, at the Afghan pullout um, is kind of already spent. Uh, the worst of it was the day that that that. 13 Americans were killed. I think it was 13. I apologize if I get the number wrong. Um, so now hearing uh, uh, of this report months later will not even, you know, it's, 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 it's barely going to be a blip on the radar in terms of the public perception. I mean, the, the problem here is that this is an issue that's not going to go away. In other words, it will, it, it's obviously in a decline as an issue that the outrage has faded things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. It just so happens that they haven't happened yet. There's a huge humanitarian crisis that's unfolding, a profound, disastrous humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan that the whole world is being mobilized to, to address. You know, the United Nations is soliciting millions and millions of dollars for humanitarian relief in Afghanistan. That doesn't make headlines. It'll make headlines when there's uh, some sort of a terrorist event as a result of the ascension of these elements back into power in Afghanistan. But also every poll that you, you know, occasionally in the in the deep in the write up of these polls where they say, oh, the Biden administration has uh, been nobody regards the Biden administration as competent or focused or what have you. And they say, well, this all leads back to Afghanistan. This uh, this began in late August. The collapse happened then and it never returned to the status quo. ante. Well, and, and the stories, it's true that we've become almost inured to these horrifying stories um, of people selling their young children so that they can get food for the remainder of the family. You know, young women in particular being sold off as brides to these old old guys. There was just an earthquake in Afghanistan, which which led to some casualties and will cause further disruptions for the people there. But there is 
it strikes me that here's another, I guess we can add this to the drinking game for the press conference this afternoon. Will anyone ask Biden how many Americans who want to get out of Afghanistan are still in Afghanistan? Will they ask that today? Because that question also was the was the sort of longish, longer tail on the Afghanistan crisis. People were keeping that front and center for a few months. And even that is I would challenge your framing, too, because the framing is too administration friendly. The want to get out of Afghanistan notion is something that the, the they relied on as though it was possible, as though you know, there weren't obstacles, insurmountable obstacles in the way of people who wanted or didn't want to get out of Afghanistan. So it's just uh, Americans, point blank. I, I think it also, it, it bears mentioning that, you know, uh, John, you had said to know, do you want to talk about, or no, you said well, there's Afghanistan and there's Ukraine. Um, part of the ongoing horror and fallout from Afghanistan has to do with our Russia problem now. Uh, Putin's brazenness would not be ratcheted up to the degree it is had had Biden not shown so much weakness in the withdrawal of, and, and, and incompetence and and reluctance to to, to stand for uh, uh, traditional American strengths and values uh, as he did in the withdrawal of, of Afghanistan. Withdrawal of Afghanistan was a material success for Moscow. Moscow had been supro- providing material and financial support for the Taliban for years, according right. to the testimony of Pentagon brass going back 2018, 2017. Uh, this is not new. Right. So Afghanistan, uh, Ukraine will come up. Obviously, it's the big world crisis. And uh, we are being prepared by the White House for an inevitable Ru- Russian invasion. Jen Psaki is saying it could come any day now. Tony Blinken, Secretary of State, went to Kiev yesterday to express solidarity with the with the people of Ukraine. If they were smart, they would take that visit and they would start, you know, packing up the truck and you know heading heading west as fast as they possibly could like talk about you know talk about like going to visit the place that you think is about to go and you could say well i went and expressed solidarity with them i that that i would be terrified if i were if i were ukrainian i mean i think it's a good thing that we're saying what we're saying compared to what we could be saying um but what's going to matter is what the action is. And ordinarily, I would say Biden would never be giving a press conference, even if it's the anniversary thing, uh, if he didn't have um, a good answer to give on Ukraine that would resonate and would be something that would uh, sort of ignite world uh, focus on the, the looming disaster and what might be done to prevent it. That's what I would assume terrible happen. assumption they have no but idea i'm wrong they're, my they're assumption is in yes my assumption is incorrect uh i will because um they they don't uh think this way and uh and and they are having this and whatever he says is going to make things worse there is a real failure of imagination across the entire political spectrum in the united states a a, a willful uh self-deception when it comes to what the worst case scenario could be here. And it could come tomorrow. It could come in, in two weeks when there's some uh, joint exercises with the Belarusian forces. Um, nevertheless, it does look real. And the worst case scenario is not difficult to envision because it's the administration is now saying it out, outright. Uh, in late December, members of the, uh, of the uh, Zelensky administration in Kiev began to contemplate you know, what a war would look like. And it would look very bad for them. Within the first several hours of conflict, the Air Force would be grounded, the army would be routed, and everybody would be moving west. Um, in that event, the administration in Kiev said, listen, we're just going to open the arms depots. 
everybody grab what you can, defend your families and do what you can to, to keep yourself alive and your families alive because the government of Ukraine would cease to exist. Um, and the Pentagon reportedly warned their Russian counterparts of this prospect in a New York Times report a week or two ago. And today we wake up to the news, according to this headline in the New York Times, quote, the U.S. considers backing an insurgency if Russia invades Ukraine. Uh, the idea here would be to transform, I suppose, the steppe into the mountains of Central Asia and execute something like a Afghanistan 2.0. The horrors of that sort of thing are, are difficult to contemplate. It would mean um, inviting irregular forces across Europe to join this conflict. It would mean special forces, likely in ungoverned areas of Ukraine. It would mean a refugee crisis to the tune of millions that would stream west, destabilize the polities of Europe, pit uh, politics, political forces in places like Berlin, which are more accommodationist against Paris and London. Uh, it would kill investment in Central Europe. It would create a depression, uh, economic depression in Central Europe and the political malaise associated with that. Um, it would shatter the status quo that has prevailed since 1945 not 1991, 1945. And nobody seems to be contemplating this. Indeed, we're talking about, well, we don't have that. We have no sovereign ratified obligation to defend Ukrainian territory. Yeah, the Budapest Memorandum, which actually stipulates that notwithstanding, sure. But we do to Poland, we do to the Baltics, who are, and we would be these... drawn into those conflicts and their national security conflicts within very short order. At which no, point who, the goalposts would these... move and we'd start talking about our obligations to Ukraine and the Baltics because it's not about territorial sovereignty or the ratification of the Senate. It's about getting America out of Europe. Who 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 are these people who are saying this that you're saying they're saying? Oh, the commentary for the most part. Um, but it's I'm you, not you see seeing a lot in the of this in the, I'm not oh, seeing a lot of this in the commentary. Well, I mean, you know, you sort of yeah, they're, they're most certainly like, are. And when the tangible consequences materialize, then yes, the more the quizlings among us would say, well, what obligations do we have there? Really? The costs are just too high. Well, eventually that's that that is that is the gamble. Uh, and, and it's not just the quizlings who are going to say that because Biden, unless you want to call Biden the quizling, Biden will eventually say that, too, because he was he is the one who is going to have to make the call about how interventionists were going to be once this happens. And, you know that he's not going to be interventionist. So uh, well, the then you're going to have you don't to... have to be interventionist. The problem isn't that they're interventionist. The problem is they're not interested in deterrence. Flooding well, the deter zone well, with with air, air, anti-air and area denial. No, I know. But raises I know but, the stakes but, of conflict and raises the cost to the point where you might make Moscow blink. I agree. But, you know, the time for that was two months ago, not now. They oh, started moving. They started. Time. You think we have time? It hasn't happened yet. I don't know. We'll see. I don't, I'm not sure we have time. And I think we are therefore talking about a response rather than deterrence. I mean, deterrence, they started moving, pre-positioning these forces and we saw it happen. And we talked about how concerned we were and we talked about how concerned we were and we talked about how concerned we were and we didn't do anything. And we put on a couple of sanctions. We talked about Nord Stream and the Germans shot it down. Um, and Germans are actually are. moving a little bit. They've been really recalcitrant. Um, and and emboldening Moscow for a long time. But the, yesterday, or either early this morning or late yesterday, uh, Berlin said, you know, we'd be open to sanctioning uh, Nord Stream 2 in the event of conflict, in the event of conflict. So it's not deterrence, it's a response, but it's it's movement in our direction. 
Oh, they'll suspend Nord Stream if there's an invasion. That that that's easy. Like they'll they'll suspend. They they can't. That 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 stuff will be poor. And then after the invasion is successful, uh, Nord Stream can be re can be put back on track. You know, I mean that's that's the horror of sus- suspending an industrial project is that you know you keep the the equipment still there. It just sits there and waits until you know you just stop the work and then you can start the work again. So I you know. As I said, like, I just don't know what positive case this guy is going to be able to make for himself today, uh, rhetorically, and uh, and uh, every answer uh, will dig the hole deeper about how, uh, how little uh, control he has. But I do have good news for everybody, uh, good news for Democratic partisans who hate the filibuster. Uh, Mark Kelly, the senator from Arizona, has now declared his support to end the filibuster. This is funny. Can I just... I mean, I sort I just, of. He's declared his support for this whole talking filibuster thing, okay. not not okay. to eliminate but, the filibuster. But can I can I just explain why this is funny? Yesterday came news that Emily's List, the progressive feminist funding mechanism, or was it early money is like yeast? Emily, the idea was, you know, you have to give women money to run for office uh, to get women into the Senate and the House. So there is a female senator from Arizona, you may be aware of, uh, Kirsten Cinema, and Emily's List announced it would no longer support Kirsten Cinema as uh, because she's uh, not against the filibuster. Uh, I think the first time in history that Emily's List has announced that it will not support a Democrat for taking a policy position that it does not like. That's terrible for Kirsten Cinema, except for one thing: she's not running for office. She is not up for re-election. Joe Manchin, primary challenge. They're going to primary challenge Joe Manchin. Guess what? Joe Manchin is not running for office. He's not up until 2024. They're making ridiculous, preposterous threats. Joe Manchin is the most popular uh, politician in West Virginia history. He wins you know, in a state. He wins as a Democrat in a state that Trump wins by forty. Do you, do you remember in business? Uh, in, there was this moment where everybody thought women should power pose. There was this whole thing, this like TED talk, like I do the power pose and then men will listen to me. And I feel like there's this whole faction of Democratic activists who are just power posing, use you know, with with cinema and mansion. And we know, I mean, they'll do it, and everyone will applaud them for it and go, look at that powerful pose. But two years from now, when the studies come out and go, yeah, it doesn't really work. They it it'll be gone. It'll be gone. Okay, but Mark Kelly. At least Mark Kelly is actually running for re-election this year. He is up this year, and they are putting pressure on him, and the pressure is working. So at least, congratulations, Democrats. You're lunatic political strategists who don't seem to know how to tie their shoelaces has at least targeted somebody who actually can be targeted and, and pressured successfully. So mazel tov to you. Yasher Koach, you have done your job well. Mark Kelly is now a supporter of the talking filibuster instead of having taking ludicrous aim at two people who aren't who will not be up for election for almost three years. Congratulations on like getting to second grade in political strategy. I mean, this is really very, very impressive. So we will uh, be back tomorrow to uh, discuss the 
what I'm going to presume will be the wreckage of the Biden presidency in the wake of the press conference. Um, until then, for Abe, Noah, and Christina, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.